welcome back to the Mixed Motherhood Podcast. I am Cookie, and this is Denai, and we are here with our guest, Eve. Hey, guys. So, Eve, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a new I mom. Am, yep. I am 34, so <laughs> I'm a little bit older than most first-time moms, I would say. Um, and last year in June of 2021, my partner and I had discussed, we wanted kids, we wanted to kind of plan and maybe get married first, get a house and all that stuff. But we were kind of thinking, okay, I go off my birth control and we kind of do natural family planning and just kind of see where it goes and try not to get pregnant. But if it happens, it happens kind of thing. So for four months, I was off birth control, trying natural family planning Natural family planning does not work. <laughs> you know, actually, before Nick and I got married, um, because I, I'm right. Catholic, right? So if you get married in the Catholic Church, you have to go for, like, premarital counseling. And we did the same thing. We did, like, the whole natural family planning course that they teach everybody. And, yeah, there's a lot of research there that says that it's not a oh, great no. way <laughs> to prevent yeah. a pregnancy. So if anyone is listening, you might want to do some more research about your <laughs> options. You're also a healthcare professional, I am, right? Yes, I am a registered nurse in Saskatoon. Um, currently, I work, well, currently I'm on mat leave, but uh, I work as a psychiatric nurse. Um, and I think that's going to be the place that I stay and make my home in my career for the remaining years. Mm-hmm. But I've worked in a variety of different uh, healthcare fields like maternity. I've worked in community public health, med surge, but yeah, psychiatric nurse currently. <laughs> so what does a psychiatric nurse um, do? So where I work specifically, it's just acute psychiatry. We take patients that have already been triaged and we basically just kind of regulate them so that they're safe to themselves and the community so they can go back into the community. We see a lot of issues from schizophrenia to, you know, bipolar disorder, the two main ones, borderline personality disorder, eating disorders, et cetera. I wanted to go back to what you said right at the beginning when you said you feel like you're um, 34 and one of the older, new first-time moms. I think the trend is actually going to anywhere between 30 to 35 being first-time moms. This is the thing because, yeah, like a lot of women now are getting educated. They're doing their bachelor's and master's degrees, et cetera. And, you know, also their standards for dating are a lot higher these days. And they're not willing to put up with crap for men. So they're sticking around to, like, you know, wait for the right one and and kudos. And and that's kind of what I did. That was my philosophy. So I have no regrets in doing this mommy thing at 34 it's wonderful and I feel like yeah I feel like I have all the tools that maybe I wouldn't have had in my 20s doing it at my 30s so yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. so where is your partner from my partner is from southwest Saskatchewan so he is German um, Mennonite background very typical (laughs) uh, prairie nice prairie boy yeah I, I'm Lee from Newfoundland, as I know you guys have roots there as well, and I, I do deny, I guess, loosely. Yes, we went to the yeah, university. Yeah, together, yeah. So yeah. I'm originally from Newfoundland. Um, so my mother, she was born and raised in Newfoundland. She's an English background. And then my dad, he is from the Caribbean. So he's got mostly sub-Saharan African heritage with a little bit of Spanish, as most Caribbean population people do. But he moved to Newfoundland uh, to work, or sorry, to go to school at the university. And I met my mom and the rest is history. And yeah, so we, my I say we, myself and my brother grew up there. And then I did my nursing degree there and then moved to Saskatchewan to start my career. What is the diversity like in Saskatoon? Mm. Um, huh. I think I would say, now I don't know how St. John's is now because things have changed. I haven't lived there for 10 years, but definitely more so than Newfoundland for sure. We have, see, any anytime you have a, a city with a, and, and I would say Saskatoon is relatively the same size as St. John's, maybe a little bit bigger. I think there's like 350,000 people. Um, anytime you have a university in the city, you're going to attract more, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, international students, right? Yeah. So, and, and it's fairly highly accredited. We have a med school, we have a law school, we have a dentistry school, we have, you know, all that. So, 
I think because of that, it's attracted a lot of international students and then people end up sticking around to stay because the jobs are good here, the money is good here, and the cost of living is pretty good. So, you know, I think for those reasons, we do have a higher population of multicultural uh, people. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and just coming, um, because I mentioned that I had just come back from St. John's, I noticed that it is a lot more diverse than it was like even a decade ago. Oh, okay. um, it's it's definitely more noticeable. I was downtown, I was at the mall, and just seemed to pick up on it as well. I remember there were times when uh, I was living in St. John's during undergrad where you know, there was a lot of like, you would get a lot of unsolicited attention because you're black. <laughs> oh, yeah. Didn't feel that at all. Um, oh. This trip did not feel that at all. Like, I feel like just even being in the, the university setting, um, I think that St. John's has made leaps and bounds um, in terms of diversity compared to what it was. And I think international numbers have increased as well. Okay. Yeah, uh, which is great. I think anytime you have diversity in any sort of environment, it improves the your, your accessibility to certain services. I think it it makes the community better. Like I was very impressed by just the the diverse range of restaurants there. Like you could eat pretty much any cuisine. I did notice that actually. Yeah, yeah. No, I did notice that the last two times I had been home. Now, I mean, I am kind of a creature of habit, and I go home and I just do my same routine always. And I don't really, I'm not a tourist, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I haven't really checked out yeah. much. But I did remember seeing some newer, more international cuisines pop up there. So yeah, that's really good to hear. I think a lot of things have changed for the better. I think that yeah. um, Newfoundlanders in general have always been very friendly people. Um, and I think that definitely got that vibe when I went back and was very impressed. Like I said, very diverse. Like my cab driver was like all the cab, all the times I used cab, different ethnicity oh, okay. person driving the cab. Nice. Um, so still not a lot of diversity in, you know, more senior roles, like more professional positions, but definitely at the university, definitely within the community. And I think that's awesome. That's going to come with time, though. Those people have been there for a long time, so you can't expect that to change, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's yeah. just the, the way things work. So what was it like growing up mixed in Newfoundland? Um, I would have to say, okay, I was thinking about this last night, because this is going to be a very weird analogy, but I felt like culturally, I felt like I fit in. And I feel like, I mean, that's all I knew was Newfoundland culture is predominantly, as you know, uh, white, Irish, English <laughs> descent people. So I yeah. felt like culturally I fit. But on the outside, especially in the 90s, I knew I was a minority. And it was almost, this is a weird, very weird comparison, but it was like I felt like I was wearing a Halloween costume. Like people would expect me to be one thing, but I was very well. much culturally from Newfoundland so it would confuse people a lot but I also struggled a lot as a child I I I never really had what would be like an identity crisis am I white am I black I never ever had that I I felt like I definitely identified with both um but the one thing for me that I definitely struggled with was beauty standards especially for young girls like you know, where were the Disney princesses of color back then? Like, I think there was, like, maybe just Pocahontas. Like, that was it. Or Jasmine. Mm-hmm. Like, I had no no one to look up to that was, you know, essentially, like, a beauty standard that looked like me that I could be like, oh, hey, like, I, I, I look like that girl and I can feel pretty because, you know, whatnot. So I really struggled with that. And I remember watching like my two favorite shows back in the day were like Sailor Moon, where she has like blonde hair, blue eyes. And that was like, I thought that was absolutely gorgeous. And I used to feel uh, insecure because I didn't have that. And I used to have a lot of insecurities about, you know, what if guys don't like me? I mean, you know, this is me as a preteen. What if guys don't like me? Because you know, I don't have straight long hair. My hair is really coily and 
and you know I have darker skin like how is that going to work when I want to start to date will you know that be seen as attractive and anyway so it yeah it did it did mm-hmm. kind of impact my self-esteem growing up I mean later on in life and I mean I think with the influence of pop culture and there's a lot of like black celebrities and black singers that's when you know people were seeing those beauty standards come out more and that's when I felt like hey okay so I can identify with these people and it definitely helped with my confidence but yeah it was interesting you know it's funny you say that because Cookie and I both grew up in Zimbabwe and I think we faced the same the same issues even though we were surrounded by people who you know, looked like a same skin color, same hair texture. I think the standard was still very Western, very white. And it's it's funny how that perpetuates itself wherever you are and how it's continuing. Like you, you talk about like the Disney princess. There were very few Disney princesses of color. I think Pocahontas was the yeah, first Yeah, I think and Jasmine, but I mean, yeah, but they're not of the same ethnic background as we are, you know, like they mm. were, and yeah, there's exactly. wrong with, you know, with being Native American or being, you know, uh, Middle Eastern, but at the same time, I still, mm-hmm. yes, they're brown, but I couldn't identify them because they weren't of the same ethnic background as me. So, you know, it's, it's nice to see that um, society has progressed so far that, even now they have a new Disney princess coming out, New Little Mermaid. I just saw the trailer. I'm such a Disney nerd. I think yes. you already know this about me. Um, but Bailey, she's, yeah. So and yes. she's got dread, like red dreads, like Ariel with the red hair. So I'm like, this is awesome because I never had this growing up. This was not a thing. Well, that's actually very interesting because when it was announced that, uh, I think her name is Hallie, Hallie Bailey, Bailey yeah. or something, when she when it was announced that she was going to be to play Ariel in the live action um, Disney adaptation of The Little Mermaid, there was a lot of uh, discussion around the appropriative nature of her like assuming this role because everybody knew Ariel as like having being white and having red hair. And I think that like from my perspective, you know, I think it's great because there's so many examples for, you know, non-persons of color to, like, there's so many Disney princesses that mm-hmm. are white. It will touch the hearts and minds of little girls more than some people will ever know. And I think back to 2009 when uh, The Princess and the Frog came out, which is also kind of problematic, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> but symbolically, everybody was excited about yes. it, right? Being able to say, okay... Tiana, that's that's the person that I um, identify with, and you know I I think that there's still a long way to go. Like I I talked about this before, but my six year old has an obsession with Elsa, and wanting to look like Elsa, it's hard because some of the conversations we have is is a lot about like self awareness and like teaching little kids about who they are as a person and and how they can present themselves in society without having to fit in. And so when you talk about your experiences in in Newfoundland, you know, I think it really, I I feel like I connect in that way and I'm sure Cookie does as well. Did your parents ever um, express to you what issues they kind of face? Have you ever had that conversation with them? Oh, yes, yes. Um, and thankfully, uh, yeah, so my mom and dad have both told me that back, I mean, when they started dating, I think it was like 1979 in Newfoundland, and my mom said there was a lot of middle-aged women that would, like, look at my mom disapprovingly, and, like, they could hear the comments, like, what is she doing with him, or what is he doing with her, that kind of thing, which sounds absolutely ridiculous, but my mom relates that story to nowadays, in recent years, I mean, it's becoming more acceptable, but for gay marriages because I remember a time when like people you know my grandparents age would look at gay couples the same light as what they would have looked at my parents back in the day so I mean society's progressed so much thank the lord but it's yeah Mm -hmm. it's pretty sad hey like that was a thing a few years ago I was in New Orleans and this was the only time that this has ever happened to me but I at the time was dating a guy who was also white not my current partner, but um, a different guy. And 
I remember two black men, I could hear them walking behind us and saying, what does that black girl think she's doing with that white boy? And I'm just like, what is this? Like, this is like the 2000s. Like, are you kidding me? In America, so not so much Canada, I find, there is a lot of oh, that. Yeah. A lot of the yeah. black woman, what is she doing with the white man? Or white man wants to come in and take the black woman. There's a lot of that going on as well within within our own age group. Yeah. And it's to me, it's why why do you why does that bother you? What is the problem? What happens if she dates a white guy? Well, I think that there is there's a lot of reasons for this. First of all, America has a very complicated racial history. Yes. But second of all, if you look at the number of women versus men, like available women versus available men, there's a lot more women, black women, than there is black men available. And because black women are naturally high achieving, like statistically, I should say, high, more high achieving, like they tend to have university education, you know, they're working and that sort of thing. It is hard to be able to let go of that aspect of your life so that you can date. And when you do get into the mode where, okay, I want to go and date somebody, you're competing with so many people, not just other black girls. And then I think the the other factor is how black women are perceived in dating culture. So there's kind of this extreme that, you know, she's either like a Jezebel, like she's super sexual, she, and then there's like the other end of the spectrum where it's like black girls are not attractive. And so even though you are open and ready to date anybody, any skin color, you're trying to navigate those two yeah. extremes. Black guys will tell black girls, I, and I've talked a lot about this on my Instagram, black women are so supportive of everybody and very few people are supportive of us. Like I can't think of many black women who will bring down like men of any race. But they're the subject. They're on the receiving end of like, you guys are not attractive. You're too aggressive. Too extra. I've actually had that one before. Too extra. (laughs) What the heck? Like, first of all, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, and I think like there are a difference in cultures, like between Canadian black women and U.S. black women. Big time, big time. But like the amount of times that people have said to me, they're like, oh, you're pretty white for a black girl. You act really white. I'm like, I'm, I don't act a color. Like I'm, I'm from Canada. Like give me a break, man. But see, that's the thing. The, the, the portrayal of the black woman that, that people get is TV. A lot of us aren't on TV. A lot of black Canadian women are either first generation or second generation black, Mm -hmm. right? So whether you're Caribbean or whatever, but that's the version they get. So immediately, that's in their mindset, okay, see this girl on Tinder or whatever. I'm going to try and see what she's like just because I want to see what the black girl is like. But fully expecting you to be clicking your tongue and rolling your eyes and your head and everything. And it's like, that's not how I speak. I don't know why you thought that's the way I would speak. You immediately assume something about me. And then you get those cards. I also find there's such a thing, too, as tokenism. That is really, really, really common in a dating world, especially, I don't know, at least where I as a dating that I have done, it's like, oh yeah, like I've had, it's, it's almost like they have it on their like list of people that they want to date, like, or their, their bucket list or something, date a black woman or like, what? (laughs) And you know what? It's the biggest waste of time because I don't want to be your, like, I don't want to be like an appetizer into the world of dating. Like I want somebody who is attracted to me and actually wants to make it work. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times the black girls are perceived as like, I'm just going to try this, especially in an interracial context. I'm just going to try this yeah. to see how it is with no intention of actually taking things further. And that is so is. frustrating. Yeah. And so I mean, kudos to your parents for sticking yes. Yes. Well, it out. Well, divorced and, now, but that has um, nothing to do with race. <laughs> 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 They raised both yeah, of you, yeah. right? So, I mean, that's that yeah. seems like the most important part. And that's the part for me. Um, and I mean, also, also to I, because we have mixed kids, obviously, this is why we're here, um, is where I think a lot about what's the, what is it going to look like for my children? What's, what is it going to be like for them? Are they having that identity yeah. crisis? Is that a guarantee that they're going to have that identity crisis? Or do I just carry on and lead them the way I know how as a parent? Not like a black parent mm-hmm. or a black woman, just as a parent and just try and do my best that way. So I really appreciate you being here today, actually. Thank you. It's nice to know that some level of 
they'll be okay. They just need, thank you, yeah. you know, your guidance as it's people. It's interesting too mm-hmm. with my daughter. So because I'm half, my partner is full white German Mennonite. So my daughter was born light, very light skin. Like I would say she looks white. She's white passing. So it'll be interesting for her growing up when her friends see me pull up <laughs> in the car being like, hey, honey, let's go. <laughs> you know, so I'm wondering what kind of dynamic that will have with Zara as she grows up. I mean, obviously, I mean, she's going to know I'm her mom regardless. And I, I had the same mm-hmm. thing where my mom is blonde. Like my mom looks nothing like me. And pe- I would pull up or sorry, my mom would pull up to pick me up at school and people like, oh, what? <laughs> and like people, I got the comment, are you adopted? No, I'm not adopted. She is my mother. People actually oh, ask all you that? the time, all the time, all the time. Up until I was probably like, and I mean, wow. to be fair, it was, you know, often from young kids who really didn't know, especially in mm. one, you know, they don't see the diverse racial culture, but yeah, it was quite common up until I was like about 12 and and then people kind of did their color theory and realized that, you know, you, you get dark brown and you have a peach color and, you know, together you get me. So, <laughs> yeah. So have, have you and your partner talked a little bit about um, how race affects your life and even how race affects his um, life? We kind of talked about that, but like it's never really been an issue for us and I think the biggest reason for that is because I think culturally like I said I identify very much as a Canadian I mean I'm from New Zealand so I'm as Mm -hmm. Canadian as as a bag of ketchup chips and I think Mm -hmm. just that alone I think we've been quite congruent with how we parent and our values and our goals um, so I think, yeah, and also he comes from a very, like, accepting family. His brother actually is married to a black and Hispanic woman. So, you know, like, there's no shortage of racial and, and cultural acceptance in this family. And I think that, so that that has never been an issue ever. And I, I don't ever think it would be. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really it sounds like an awesome yeah. guy. And there's nothing more Canadian so. than a bag of ketchup. <laughs> so, I mean... <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about parenting. So you have, how old is your, how old is your child now? Zara just turned two months old today. You mentioned that Zara doesn't necessarily present as being No, not at all. Right? (laughs) So in the future, when she asks you questions about, you know, your background and why you're different, I imagine it would be questions that you may have asked your parents, or maybe not. The reason why I ask is because... Years ago, I remember my uh, my daughter asked me, like, why why is it that the two of you look different? Like, why do you have dark skin? And why is that? <laughs> I think those were her yep. exact words. And it was a very interesting conversation because it was a gateway to, like, having conversations about race, about relationships, and just love in general. Did you ever, like, have oh. a conversation with your parents? And, like, how are you going to yeah, have Yeah, that was kids? always from, like, I mean, I don't even remember, but, like, it's been just spoken from my parents from the time that I can remember. I've always been very educated as, you know, into my dad's background and my mom's background and just, you know, mm-hmm. it's just race has always been a very open conversation in our family, obviously. So yeah, it was I mean, I have full intentions of being the same way with Zara, you know, explaining, yeah, so your grandpa is from the Caribbean and that's why he has darker skin than mommy and daddy and and then grandma's from Newfoundland mm-hmm. and, and, you know, your your grandpa and your grandma on daddy's side, you know, they have German ancestry, which means they have, you know, lighter skin and, and blonde hair. So, I mean, I think those conversations can be started as early as like the kid learns to talk, right? And and starts to ask questions and starts to be inquisitive. Is that how old you were? Like you were fairly Oh, yeah. Young I don't even remember having the conversation. It, I just know it was something talked about from the time that I could, like, I was very, very young. It was just always known. So I know my parents, and I've, and my parents have told me that they've had these conversations with me. You know, it was a constant conversation yeah. in our household. Yeah. I know we're talking about parenting right now, but I just wanted to touch on whether your brother ever had the same kind of, do you feel like your brother had the same experiences as you did? Um, it's interesting because my brother actually tends to take on more features as my dad. So, I mean, I definitely look mixed. My brother is definitely have has more of a darker skin complexion than me. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I've actually not asked him, but I know that he has experienced some racism more so than I have. 
I think my, and thankfully my racism experience have the experiences have been minimal, but I know he has definitely experienced them growing up. And I don't know if it's because he's a boy and guys tend to be a bit more aggressive towards each other. I have no idea, but I think he's had a little bit more of a negative experience than I have for sure. And I mean, even just, you know, I remember Cookie when we were um, living in St. John's and having to navigate weird microaggressions and, you know, sometimes outright racist um, situations. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that we were more black presenting, right? You could tell, like, this person is not from here. And for people who don't know where Newfoundland is, it is an island off the coast of eastern Canada. When you were growing up, did you ever feel like you had an identity crisis? So in our first episode, Cookie and I kind of talked about how, you know, it's important for um, parents who are raising uh, mixed race children or biracial children to nurture both sides of their identity and, you know, leave it up to the child to basically determine how they identify. We don't know what their experiences of the world are, and we don't know how other people are going to identify them. Um, Did you ever feel like uh, you had a bit of an identity crisis, or did you just feel like, I'm a Newfoundlander, and that's it? So for me, honestly, no, I did not have an identity crisis. I loved being mixed. Aside from Mm -hmm. the fact that, yes, like I did explain earlier, like I felt you know, a lot of times when I was younger that I didn't look a lot like what the beauty standards were at the time. But I didn't ever feel like, am I black, am I white? I always felt comfortable being both. And and that comfort actually got stronger and stronger and stronger as I got older. And I absolutely love being mixed race. There's nothing better, I think, in the world for me than that. And I I fully I, I embrace and identify with both my cultures. Like I said, my mom is very English-Irish. I love going home to Newfoundland. I love going to O'Reilly's and having a beer. And I, I just, I love that atmosphere and, like, the boring drum. That is so awesome for me. But I also love going, like, here and in Saskatoon, we have something called Folk Fest. And uh, unfortunately, the last two years didn't go ahead, COVID. But generally speaking, they have uh, different pavilions around the city and each country uh, represents those pavilions. And there's food and dance and music and all that. So I always go to the Caribbean Pavilion. I have my jerk chicken, you know, and, and we're we're dancing to soca <laughs> and that kind of thing. And I'm just like, yes, this is, I just love, I love my both my cultures equally. So yeah, like I, I don't think, that that identity crisis was ever a thing for me. Now, I will say when filling out, and this was a thing back in the day, when filling out like any kind of like questionnaires or government uh, your racial or ethnic background, but you could only choose one. You could only choose one or, yeah, right. or other. And that used to drive me freaking crazy because I'm like, okay, well, I'm not just black, but I'm also not just white. And if I put other, it's like, it just makes it feel, it makes it feel like neither of my cultures matter then. So now actually they have the option to check which apply to you. So if there's multiple, there's multiple, which I love. But back in the day, you could only choose one. (laughs) So that's when it became an issue for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild that in society, there's this kind of idea that you have to, if you have to be one or the other, right? Whereas, you know, you could be. You could be multiple things, but that's that's really interesting to hear that you really embraced both sides of your heritage, and you know that's something that I know personally concerns me a lot because you know I have I'm very African, and my husband is very Canadian, and it's a worry of mine that my children, because they're growing up in a Canadian environment, are going to identify more with that and not have any desire or any opportunity to discover the African side. And I feel like in some ways I'm failing my children because I, I'm, I, I'm not driving, you know, I'm not like pushing them to discover that side. And, you know, that's always something that you maybe battle with as a parent, especially if your heritage is very completely different to what we have here. I definitely feel like it's a tough one. I think you have to be very conscious about it or conscientious, Mm -hmm. sorry, about it. You have to be active in that community or at least a part of that community. You have to be active in bringing your children around people that you would have grown up with or you look like or 
and introduce them to the different types of things, but it's definitely a process that you have to be very, 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 very intentional about. And, it, and it's, yes. if you're not intentional about it, it's very easily can slip away from you. But the other side of that is that sometimes they may come to you and be like, like later on, especially, what is your culture about? Like, what's out there? Like, how come, you know, what do you, what do you eat for food? Like, what is it? Because they want to be knowing more right eventually they will unless you are completely being like no i'm not going to teach you anything about my culture i don't want you to know they're going to want to know so eventually like you keep talking about it you keep mentioning different things and i find i think eventually they'll come around but i have had to be to be very very intentional with um doing things like even making them call my friends auntie and they're like yes that was something that my dad would do yeah yeah. <laughs> and yesterday, one of my daughters was like, how are you related to them? I was like, we're not. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> they still your auntie. You still call them auntie because that's you. That's a level of respect. Right. Yeah. And they yeah. Are, yeah. they will take. And you have to remember that for me, that to me means they will take care of you. If I'm not there, they're going to take, take care of you. And that's what that means. But it's something I, yeah. I, it's kind of been on my bucket list to be able to go to the Caribbean with my dad and my daughter. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. um, just for her to see where her culture comes from, but also for my dad to kind of re-immerse himself in that culture again. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be really nice. That would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any advice for somebody who's listening to this podcast right now who's maybe in your situation or about to be or maybe trying to navigate some of the things that you had to navigate? Like, what would you say to them? Um, I would say just talk to to moms talk to other moms get yourself involved in moms groups and if you're a woman of color like especially I mean you don't always have that opportunity but just you know try your best to seek out these opportunities to meet new mothers because moms support moms it is the hardest job I'm learning the hardest job in the world to be a mother but it's also the best job but I think the only way that I've been able to really get through it, I mean, aside from my partner, but I mean, there's only so much he can do as a man. <laughs> he doesn't get the full scope of it. But um, just talking to my girlfriends that are also moms and, and just going through mm -hmm. the emotions and being real with them and raw with them and, you know, that's, and feeling that support and, and that, you know, I guess family, for lack of better words. Yeah. My mom lived Yeah, so my mom, yeah, so she moved to Saskatoon in 2020, actually right at the start of the pandemic. Um, she lived in Newfoundland pretty much all of her life, then she retired from her job, her parents passed away, so then she moved out here with me, and thankfully, right in the nick of time, because I gave her her first grandchild, you know, a few years later, so it's wonderful <laughs> having her, yeah, her here, yeah. I think the community thing is important because you have to remember that you're not the first person to have gone through what you're going through Absolutely. in that moment. Yes. There's at least been a thousand billion people who've gone through the same thing. Might not be exactly the same and the advice might not be might not work for you as well as it worked for them, but it's also important to go, Okay, maybe for my next child it might work. <laughs> but I'm gonna try, mm -hmm. right? And so yeah. it's very important to, to have that um, motherly community. I think we're gonna take a break. And we will be right back with this week's letter. Welcome back, everybody. We took a little short break, and now we will get into our letter for the day. So here we go. Um, hi, I'm Nora. I live in Lower Mainland um, in British Columbia, Canada. I'm white, and I'm married to a black Jamaican man. We have three kids, 14, 12, and 8. My husband grew up in a strict household where both parents expected a lot of him. For example, he was expected to make his own bed and cook his own breakfast from the age of seven, which I think is too soon. I'm on the other hand, grew up in a very average Canadian household. My parents expected us to make our beds and keep things clean, but they never demanded it and they certainly never made us cook for ourselves. I'm starting to see some of my husband's strict upbringing surfacing. It terrifies me to think that he has these expectations of our kids when I think their energy is better deserves elsewhere. What is your opinion? Am I overthinking this? There's a lot to unpack here. She has to remember that the different cultures, there's a reason why they did that, what they did. It was um, a standard that they needed to uphold. There is a background to the, to the way that they raised him. They had to do that in order to instill a certain 
level of standard for him and for the future people that he will meet. So it may come across very harsh, but in all of that, he she became attracted to him because he became this man that he is because of that. I think it also depends on where you're raising your kids. So they're like in mm. probably the most chill part yeah, of the country. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, very chill. Like, it's, I'm not expecting, like, I remember learning these things as a kid. Like, I think I made, started making my bed with, when I was in grade two. Mm-hmm. Um, not very well, but I, I, I started making my own bed in grade two. And then, like, age nine or, or eight or nine or something, my mom taught me how to boil an egg. And then she said, you never have to ask me to boil an egg anymore. And, you know, looking back, I'm kind of grateful that, we had those skills. And her kids are how old? 14, 12, and 8. So I they're mean, 14 and 12. I mean, there's, I feel like that is, there's some reasonable expectations. I mean, it was a bit different for me. I came from yeah. a single parent household, so I kind of had to like do a lot on my own. Um, but like, even now I'm thinking like, at 13, you should be doing your own laundry. I'm, sh- I'm sorry. Like, I, I really do. I think you are old enough to operate a laundry machine. I think even like, to make a small, simple meal is okay, you know, the odd time, Mm -hmm. you know, setting the table, doing the dishes, even taking out the garbage. I think for teenagers, that is okay. However, for an eight-year-old, they said eight, right, was the youngest? Yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, for eight, that might be a bit of a high expectation, but for the teenagers, I think that, you know, it's it's okay to have those expectations. But now, Eve, when do you start, though? You can't start that at 15. You can't start it at your scene because then they're it not going to understand. Yeah. I think it depends on the child. My brother, so my brother and I, I have an older sister that, who's three and a half years older than me. And then I have a younger brother who's eight years younger than me. So there's a big age gap there. And I remember that he didn't start doing these chores until way later. And I don't know if it's because he was the boy of the family <laughs> or whatever, but I think he would have struggled. I'm sorry, Fungai, if you're listening. Um, but I think he would have struggled um, to do those things just because you weren't that child. Do you know what I mean? So I think part of it is looking at your children and seeing what their abilities yes. are. But then there's also the argument that every child should be able to do yes. these basic things. The tough part is the cultural aspect. Yes. Because... She doesn't want, like, she even asked, am I overthinking this? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe you are overthinking it. I feel like this would be a simple conversation of, like, dude, chill. Like, your kids don't need to know how to make, like, mac and cheese at 8 o'clock. Eight, eight years eight, old. Uh, eight, eight years yeah. old. I think the overthinking part, she's not overthinking. I think for her, maybe, also, she didn't quite express how he's, you know, is he... Is he being aggressive about it or is he just having a conversation with them with it? When you wake up, you make your bed, you can, you know, um, you can do your own, like my six-year-old can do laundry. Not like oh, wow. wonderful. Wow. Can reach in yeah. to get it Physically, out. Yeah. She can put it in and then her sister will help her take it out and help her put it in the, in the That's awesome. dryer. But it's a, it's a process. It's not full enough yet, but she wants to do it. And I said, okay, let's encourage you to do it. So it's it's a it's important to at least instill these things in them, girls or boys. It's important to start teaching them, Absolutely. especially young, because there's going to be a time when you're not going to be home in time to make them something to eat, and then you know you can't let them sit there and starve. Like make yourself a sandwich. I'll show you how to make a sandwich. Um, my brother and my cousin. Again, sorry if you're listening, guys, but you know what story I'm talking about. <laughs> they were the youngest ones out of our cousins, and I guess one day they just happened to be nobody around. Not even the maid, I suppose, but um, they decided to make themselves vinegar sandwiches. Oh, my goodness. What this, <laughs> <laughs> this was a piece of, piece, of lettuce, piece of lettuce and just a lot of vinegar. Oh, that was the sandwich. <laughs> I know. It's gross. <laughs> but they were wild. Maybe nine and ten at that point. But at that point, you should know. Get some peanut butter. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Or jam. Like but the like, easiest condiment that was close to them, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but things like that. Like, so, you know, you want to be able to. And they were so proud, though, when they told us and everybody came home. And we were like, what? And I think my mom was just like, wow, okay. So I kind of dropped the ball on that one. But. 
it's important for them to know some of these things, to be able to feed themselves and make your bed. Yeah. He can't. He doesn't have to be aggressive about it. And maybe you are overthinking it. But, if he, but what if does he, that mean? Like, what is aggressive? Is it like, you know, at 8.30 a.m. on a weekend? Because this <laughs> is what happened with me. My mom would walk into my room at like, I think she let us sleep until 8. Oh my goodness. On a, on a Saturday? Yeah. Open the, the curtains, open the windows and tell us it was time to, to get up. And we were expected to make our beds and, and do all of our chores. And there's a part of me that, you know, just, I, I hated that so much because mm-hmm. I felt like mm-hmm. we were working. Like we didn't yeah. have an opportunity to take a break. But then the older you get, the more you realize there's a purpose to this. Also their generation. Maybe there's a generational thing here. Maybe her husband's generation, this was what everybody was doing, right? But I think kids now, the expectation to do some of those things, the age has raised up a little bit. And it, it might be it might be too soon. We're doing them a disservice, though. 100% doing them a disservice. You think so? Need, I think so. I think we need to. And when you say like that, like, well, no, I'm not going to wake my children up at 8.30 in the morning. I'm going to let them do what they need to do. But I'm going to also teach them. It's important for you mm-hmm. to teach them. It doesn't have to be an everyday thing. But start to put in that in their minds that some of these things they're going to have to be responsible for. It also sounds too like she's fine to do a lot of this work because she said something like, that other, that's um, the other part. That's the other part is you, you're going to burden yourself with that. And, and by the time they leave, they're not yeah. going to know very much about that's housekeeping. That's just it. Like I knew people in university and they didn't even know like how to like cook just anything. They were eating TV dinners and getting takeout. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at 18 and 19 years old, I think like you need to learn these skills so that when you do move out, you're a fully independent functioning adult, right? Yeah, we're not asking you to yeah. make five course meals, but you need no. to know how to boil an egg, flip an egg, how to make yeah. a sandwich, how to just take care of yourself. And then it also speaks to the people you're going to be living with are also going to expect some sort of level of cleanliness exactly. and upkeep, right? And if you're going to always be just living the way you've always lived because you don't know any better, um, <coughs> that's going to that's gonna cause some tension. The other thing that they they talk about in parenting, like books and stuff, is that you need to give your children age-appropriate, like, tasks. So you wouldn't give the eight-year-old, for example, the task of mowing the lawn with a gas-powered lawnmower, right? Like, that's (laughs) not age-appropriate. But, you know, maybe their job is picking up the the clippings from the, the lawnmower. So that's, that could potentially be it. Um, I just feel bad for, I think her name is Nora, because it does seem like it's a cultural miscommunication. Mm-hmm. And maybe they just need to like be a little bit more open and honest. And she needs to say, I don't think our children need to do these tasks, but I think it's important that they learn to do this other set of tasks now. So no, Nora, you're, you're, you're not overreacting, but you definitely need to understand more about where your husband is coming from and understand more what his reasoning is and then work together to come up with age-appropriate tasks. All right, we're going to take a break and we'll be back with this week's news. All right, everybody, we are back from our break in this week's news. Celebrity Nick Cannon recently announced that he is welcoming baby number 10. The most surprising thing is not necessarily the number of babies he's having, but it's who he's having these babies with. Cannon has been accused of only having children with racially ambiguous women. So what do you think about this? Both the number of kids that he's having and the fact that, so he has six, I think it's six women that he has had children with, uh, including Mariah Carey. I'm a little bit torn on the picking specifically looking women to have children with. I mean, also the fact that he's having children with multiple women and there's now a thousand children out there. But (laughs) that's a whole other conversation. But I do think that you know, because historically, the lighter-skinned 
slaves were to be inside, right? So that's how they ended up lighter skin. The darker skins were outside picking cotton, so that's how they got to be dark skin. So they really have that tension, um, which is was intentional, obviously, because divide and conquer. So I think there's a part of that that's still within them without necessarily realizing it. I see what you mean. I think there's a couple of things at play here. The first thing is that people are genuinely surprised that this man has so many children. But the thing is, Nick Cannon is rich. He's a celebrity. He has money. He can he can certainly afford to support these children. I think what people are upset about is the fact that he I think there is there is probably a discussion to be had about self-hate and perpetuating anti-blackness with your children because what exactly is he trying to tell the world that he only finds a certain type of woman attractive and only those women are worthy of having his children like what is what is that telling the world and what is that telling his children so i think that i think that's the biggest issue as well it's like people who go into I know a lot of couples have been accused of this, like specifically seeking out interracial relationships so they can have cute mixed kids. Their kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, like whole thing about, and I, I certainly have been on the receiving end of that. People have told me, oh, you only went after this guy so oh. that you could have mixed kids, which is, you know. I remember, I'm, I'm getting into a lot of my dating history, but <laughs> I remember going on a date with a guy. One date, I swear. And he was like, we would have really great babies. We would have really cute babies. And I'm like, first of all, this is our first date. Second of all, that is the most inappropriate comment to make. Like, yes. what, how, what, what makes you think I would even want to have kids with you? I don't even know if I want to date you. Like, no, I definitely oh don't. Uh, no, and I want I mean, people to understand that most of the time it's just a relationship. It's literally just a relationship. It's about you and the other person. Yes. How they are is regardless of Absolutely. it doesn't matter. I feel this way about this person, not because they're white and then now I have no. to feel about this person. It doesn't matter. I feel I like this person because of who they are. That's it. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. That's all. Exactly. And most people don't realize that um, people who are in interracial relationships, if you ask them, they will tell you, I wasn't seeking this out. It's not like I was on Bumble yeah. and I was like, I don't want to date anybody of my race. I'm only going to go for a Korean guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not, it, it may be that way for some people, but the majority of people are just looking for love. And I think with, yeah. Yeah. with yeah. black, I mean, talked about this at the beginning of the episode black women have a harder time being viewed as attractive finding people who find them attractive and so i feel like a lot of times they're more open-minded about where they're going to seek out that love. the other thing but they're not the other no, thing no, go ahead. that i have heard before oh this this like infuriates me you are attractive for a black woman for a black woman yeah. you're pretty for a black girl like uh excuse me are you implying that black yeah. women are just unattractive and oh you, you happen to be like one that is like what yeah it's a demeaning comment and also that speaks to what nick cannon is encouraging so certain black women are attractive the light skin and black woman. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I don't know. I just feel it's kind of icky. And yeah. look, people have a right to be attracted to and love and desire who they want to. But you know, making it your life's mission to seek out people only from a particular racial makeup is a little bit weird. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 You're basically discounting any sort of relationship with anybody who doesn't look like the person that you have in your head. And that to me is, talks about like self-love in you. Some, there's something going on in you that in you're you. thinking, my kids will be less than if I have uh, a Lupita looking woman having my children. Who, by the way, is um, like absolutely freaking stunning. Beautiful. And I, I mean, I know for myself, I mean, I live in Canada and I've, I've never lived anywhere else. So, I mean, my, the, the dating pool of, 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 you know, 
my daughter's crying here. Sorry. Um, the, dating, <laughs> the dating pool for like okay. opportunities. I mean, it's going to be mostly white women, white women, white Mike men. Man. Yes. Yes. You know, or something yeah. similar to that because the, I mean, I live in Canada. What else? What are my options really? What else but, is I mean, there? Yeah. You know, but to, to specifically be on a mission for dating one specific race is yeah. It is very weird. And I mean, good luck to Nick Cannon and his baby number 10 or, uh, you know, future babies, I guess. But we'll be watching this and maybe, you know, we'll talk about this in the future. Uh, we'll be right back with the saddest part of the show where we have to let Eve and baby go. We'll be right back. We are back, and as I'm sure you can hear, baby Zara's joined us. Um, so let's all say a collective hey to baby Zara. Um, this has been wonderful, Eve. I've learned so much about you, and um, I tell you all the time that you're doing such a good job. Thank as you. Mom, I really appreciate that. I'm so happy that we had you on the show today, giving your insight. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very much, ladies. Thank you very much, Eve and Zara. Thanks for joining us right at the end. <laughs> Thank you. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram. We are Mixed Motherhood Pod on Instagram. And you, if you have a question or uh, a letter for us, email us at mixedmotherhoodpod at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody. This has been wonderful. We will see you next time. Take care. The Mixed Motherhood Pod is written and produced by Nana Belanger and Kudzai Chimanikire. All musical credits belong to Epidemic Sound. Follow us on all platforms at Mixed Motherhood Pod.